Sarcoma Insight. Sarcoma Insight, this is our destination for education for both benign and malignant tumors. Thank you all for joining us with this episode of Sarcoma Insight. And today we are discussing osteoblastomas and chondroblastomas. Uh, And it's uh, easily here with Elise. Uh, And our previous episode was on osteoblastomas and osteochondromas. Uh, Elise, uh, could you do a brief recap of that for our listeners? Yeah, so a couple of the major points from the last episode, osteochondromas and osteoid osteomas are both benign tumors of bone. Uh, Osteochondromas are known for the external growth with a cartilage cap. And then our key word that we highlighted multiple times of corticomedullary continuity, whereas osteoid osteomas are known for being a small benign lytic lesion that's less than two centimeters in size and cause pain to the area of the lesion. And just Remember the second one in particular, because that'll come into play when we talk about one of our diagnoses for today's episode. Yeah, thank you for that. And I guess we can just sort of go right into it, um, Elise. And what is an osteoblastoma? Yeah, so an osteoblastoma is an uncommon benign tumor of the bone, so kind of similar to the lesions that we discussed in our last episode. This accounts for 1% of all bone tumors and 3% of all benign bone tumors. And as I pointed out, you know, keep in mind one of the diagnoses from our previous episode, but this is actually very similar to an osteoid osteoma. And the big difference between the two is the size. So that threshold cutoff is two centimeters. So if it's larger than two centimeters, it's an osteoblastoma, but otherwise has a lot of similar characteristics. So on the other hand, our other diagnosis of the day, Ezio, why don't you tell us what a chondroblastoma is? Yes, chondroblastoma are rare benign uh, bone tumors. Uh, They're very common in the end of lung bones in an area called the epiphysis, like we have talked about previously. You know, bones are broken down into the shaft or the middle part or diaphysis um, and all the way at the end is the epiphysis and in between the epiphysis and the diaphysis is the metaphysis, all right? And like the name suggests, chondroblastoma, so chondro, uh, meaning that it is cartilage producing. So cartilage has come up a bunch of times in previous episodes already. And then blastoma, uh, blast uh, being uh, sort of immature cells or younger cells uh, in the in the in the life cycle of chondrocytes or cartilage cells. Right, these account for around one percent of all primary bone tumors, uh, and again, they are benign. Yeah, and both rare benign bone tumors, but different characteristics that we'll continue to highlight throughout the episode. Yeah, that's great. Uh-oh. Yes. And we'll talk about who is more likely to get diagnosed with these. Yeah. So for osteoblastoma, and that's kind of what I'll be talking about more, whereas easy will be talking about chondroblastoma just to kind of help keep everyone in line with which one, which one's which during the episode. But osteoblastomas have a male predominant, predominance, so uh, more common in men. And typically these are also in younger patients kind of around an average age of 20 or so. So, you know, young adult or older adolescent. Yeah, and chondroblastomas fall in the same category. There's a big male uh, predominance with this. Uh, 
with both osteoblastoma and chondroblastoma, they're about two to one um, or maybe 2.5 to one. And they're common in the younger age group, so 19 to 23. So I guess I'm safe. I am a male, but I am older than 23. So, <laughs> well, I guess that's that's a good thing, right? For, for better um, or worse. <laughs> <laughs> so far, a lot of similarities between these two um, diagnoses: um, young patients, male predominance, and pretty rare benign tumors. Um, so next, we'll talk a little bit about where in the body these tumors occur. So osteoblastomas occur typically in the, the long bones. So we've talked about this a little bit before, but that's like the, the femur is kind of the best example of the long bone and that's your, your thigh bone. But these can also occur in the spine um, and they can even occur in some other rare bones like the jaw or we kind of refer to it in medical terms as the mandible. So those are a couple of the locations that we commonly see this uh, type of tumor. And for chondroblastoma is very similar in that the long bones are very common. Uh, the femur being, to be more specific, being an area where it occurs a lot. And I think the femur for, um, uh, for whatever reason uh, ends up showing up uh, in multiple of our diagnoses. Um, and a lot of a lot of pathology can occur uh, in or around the femur. Yeah, and I think you highlighted even a more specific location where you see it already, which is the epiphysis, so the end of the long bone, so at the upper end or the bottom end of the bone, so right near the knee or right near the hip joint. Yeah. And then what would be a typical presentation of these? So, for example, you know, if a patient had, you know, a tumor like an osteoblastoma in their spine or femur. Uh, I know it's similar to an osteoblastoma. Are the symptoms uh, similar at all? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and really, it's pretty similar to, honestly, the way a lot of tumors that are in the bone are found. It's typically incidental, or it could be from a dull pain to the area. So nothing too specific here. This is a pretty generic finding, but um, that's, that's the most common way that patients will present with this kind of tumor. And chondroblastomas give you something relatively similar. There can be some swelling, although depending on you know, how deep uh, something is located, you might not be able to feel a swelling. There can be some associated stiffness to the joint because it is at the end of lung bones. It automatically means it's close to a joint. So there can be some stiffness there, limited range of motion or associated pain. Uh, and when any of these start to occur, then we would start to think about trying to image, uh, uh, to identify, you know, what exactly it is. Um, and so what uh, image studies would you go with for an osteoblastoma? And what would your general findings be? Yeah, um, that's a great question. And some of our listeners who have tuned in for some of our other episodes may uh, sense a pattern here, but x-rays when it's uh, an area that's of suspicion for a tumor that might be in the bone, and that's always our first line of, uh, of uh, diagnostic testing, I would say. So on x-ray, these look very similar to osteoid osteomas, but they're just a little bit bigger. So this will sound familiar to the last episode as well. Um, but these are generally fairly round or oval smooth borders with a sclerosis, which is a thickened or white area on the x-ray. 
uh, on the outside part of the lesion. And occasionally these can look very similar to a malignancy or uh, because it's fairly nonspecific. So uh, this is something that often will merit additional workup or imaging studies in order to confirm the diagnosis. Though that's not always the case, but um, this can look very suspicious and look like something that could be cancerous. Um, so typically we move on to additional testing, which could be either a CT scan or an MRI or a combination of the two. Uh, a CT scan, just to remind our listeners, this is kind of similar to x-ray, but there's three dimensions to it and multiple planes, multiple slices that you can look through in different planes. Uh, an MRI, on the other hand, uh, is typically a lot longer. So kind of to understand what uh, the process is for a patient who's getting these, this type of test, MRI is generally louder and longer. Um, and from a cost perspective, more for I guess insurance, but potentially for patients as well, these can be a lot more expensive too. But this is further evaluation that can be helpful in order to determine if there are any aggressive features to rule out the malignancy or cancerous lesions that would be on the differential diagnosis that we'll discuss later. Um, But otherwise, again, it just looks pretty similar to an osteoid osteoma. So yeah, easy, go ahead. Yeah, similar to osteoid osteoma, except larger, probably greater than two centimeters or so. And we would be looking for when you get that MRI, things that would lean towards malignancy, you know, would be if you cannot sort of define the borders of the tumor or if there was uh, increased uptake uh, on your T2 scan and, and also associated soft tissue masses, invasion of the tissue around soft tissue on neurovascular structures. So that would be concerning on well, any MRI, uh, not just one evaluating an osteoblastoma. Exactly. Yeah. Those are some of those red flag signs that make you think this is something else that might merit a, a tissue sample or biopsy for a diagnosis. Exactly. And for chondroblastomas, uh, same, similar sort of workup pathway in that the x-ray is very helpful. So in, whenever there are bone lesions, usually x-ray and CT scans are very important. Uh the MRI is helpful as well, uh, but for these, probably the x-ray and what you generally would see in the x-ray are one, it would be a lytic lesion. So an area where it looks like the bone has been eat, eaten out or removed. Um, they're usually located again in the epiphysis, right? Uh, so at the ends of the long bone and they are eccentric in nature. So they're off to the side, not necessarily in the center. When you do a CT scan of this, sort of getting that those multiple planes of view, usually we'll see what's called uh, a area of sclerotic bone. So there's area of thickening around that area of what we call lysis, um, which can also be called anitis. They're generally around two centimeters, and the MRI would show a similar thing, except there'll be a lot of edema surrounding the lesion. Uh, the term for that uh, is perilesional edema. Uh, what that means is just because there's an additional uh, area of whether it be inflammation or fluid just surrounding the edges of that tumor. And that's how it comes out on the MRI. Right. Yeah, exactly. And I'd say that that's a very classic feature that um, is very useful in order to make this diagnosis, often on imaging alone. Uh, is that perilesional edema in addition to the location and the other characteristics. So 
yeah, I think that's a really, really good summary. And then what about um, on pathology? What does a chondroblastoma look like under the microscope? And just to summarize, the osteoblastomas looks, again, pretty similar to osteoid osteoma. So chondroblastoma, this is more unique. So what does that look like? We had talked about blasts earlier being immature cells. So you would see some chondroblasts, so immature cartilage cells. Uh, also some cells called giant cells um, as, as part of that picture. And this is when you take a piece of the tissue and you look under a microscope. So that, that's pri um, primarily what you would see uh, on that. And then sort of the important question for these two uh, are... Can they become malignant at any point? Can these benign tumors uh, turn into a malignancy? As far as we know, for osteoblastoma, this is not something that has a potential to become a uh, malignancy. So that's good news to be able to share with our patients. Yeah, and and then for but I think we have to discuss these topics because there are, as part of the differential diagnosis, other potential things that it could look like or resemble or imitate. So could you just go over some of what that could be for osteoblastoma? Yeah. Yeah. And we talked about how uh, some of the imaging features can be nonspecific. So this is something that may require a biopsy in order to determine whether or not this is a, truly an osteoblastoma versus one of these other things. But some of the other things we would think about include, not surprisingly, an osteoid osteoma, as there are a lot of overlapping characteristics and qualities. But a couple other things to be aware of that this will look similar to and act similar to uh, on initial presentation are a giant cell tumor of bone, which we'll discuss in a, in a future episode, just like all the others. And then osteosarcoma, which we'll be talking about on an episode coming up very soon. In fact, our next episode, just to kind of give that away or talk about that early. Uh, and specifically the osteoblastoma like osteosarcoma. And then another one would be uh, infection. It's generally always on the differential, especially in these tumors that occur within the bone in uh, patients of a younger age as well. But uh, infection is certainly on the diagnosis here, or differential diagnosis here. And then uh, what about for chondroblastoma? For chondroblastoma, we do not know of any malignant transformation. So uh, it's, a, it's a pretty much a benign tumor throughout. Uh, the concern of this are that some of the findings uh, can resemble other uh, tumors uh, you mentioned giant cell tumor earlier. That's something that could also uh, imitate a chondroblastoma, especially being in the epiphysis. Uh, other diagnoses, chondromyxoid fibroma, aneurysmobosis, and uh, one that we have talked about before, a chondrosarcoma. Uh, and, and really, uh, this is part of the differential diagnosis as, or other uh, things that can occur that look similar. And if you hear any names like we're talking about that you're not familiar with, at least not familiar with yet, uh, you just have to know that that will be a topic on our show. And we, we want to make sure that we spend time uh, uh, to guarantee that you have a great understanding uh, of a lot of these terms and what they mean uh, for patients uh, and for family. Yeah, and that's a, a great 
segue. And so, yeah, we talked about condor sarcoma already, but a lot of the others we haven't talked about yet, but we're going to get there. So don't worry. Yeah. Slowly, but surely. Um, And so after someone gets diagnosed with an osteoblastoma, uh, we have now uh, imaged them. uh, We uh, we may or may not biopsy. We know that the diagnosis is an osteoblastoma. I'm assuming that it continues to bother them and cause discomfort and pain. What would be sort of the options of treatment uh, for uh, for a patient? Uh, yeah. So if if this is something that uh, continues to be bothersome or provide symptoms that would lead a patient to uh, potentially undergo surgery, the, the surgical treatment option would be resection or curatage. And the difference between the two is either removing it generally on block if possible, or curatage where you're going inside the lesion and scraping it out from the inside. Um, and both are safe and have their pros and cons depending upon where it is. One may be easier to do than the other. Um, but something to just be aware of is that these, these can recur even after surgical treatment. Yeah. And I think that's definitely, you highlight an important point, which is location. Uh, you know, we talked earlier, yes, you know, osteoblastoma can occur in long bones, but it can also occur in the spine. Right. And right. so yeah. we want to be careful if we're going to take things, um, I know at least called it on block, but what that means is pretty much uh, as a whole, um, just taking the entire affected area out of the body. And that could become problematic in a, somewhere like the spine where there's not a lot of room to take things out uh, because of the uh, important structures that are around like nerves and, and, and the spinal cord, et cetera. Right, right. Um, and then what about chondroblastoma? What's the, what are the treatment options there? It's a very similar picture. Uh, I think it's good we combine these. You know, you can either choose to resect uh, or perform, you know, a curatage, uh, which is, you know, fancy term for scraping, but really trying to clear out the area that's affected with the tumor. And and again, with these, you know, more likely with the curatage and the resection, there is a chance that we might not be uh, removing the entire thing uh, 100%. And so as a result, there is a chance that there will be um, a likelihood that it could come back or a recurrence. But that's something that's, uh, you know, worth discussion with the treatment, treating surgeon um, at that time. After treatment, would there be any sort of surveillance or uh, extra imaging or follow-up that would happen for patients with this uh, for osteoblastoma or chondroblastoma? Yeah, yeah, and this is pretty similar for both. Um, so generally, this will be at the discretion of both the surgeon and, and the patient. Um, and this could involve some routine imaging and uh, follow-up at a certain interval that is determined to be safe and appropriate and acceptable for, again, both the patient and the surgeon. We always want to highlight the fact that there's a lot of uh, individuality in terms of the treatment of patients with these kind of lesions. Um, But those initial x-rays may just be to confirm the diagnosis and confirm that this is a stable benign lesion if a biopsy was not done or if surgery was not done. But, um, uh, and and then if there's a couple of of 
stable images or x-rays, then you may say, okay, just come back if there's a problem. But alternatively, if problems do come up, then those that, that follow-up may be more uh, frequent in nature. And especially if there's surgery that's done, then the immediate post-op period, there's going to be a, a lot more close follow-up just to make sure the wound is healing well and that there is no recurrence. Anything else to um, to add there? Um, no, I've I have nothing to add. Uh, but I would like to, like for us to go over some salient points from uh, today's episode. Uh, so just a summary, like we usually try to do. And for chondroblastomas, I think something to know about them are that they're usually uh, located in the lung bones, usually in the end of the lung bones or in the epiphysis. And when we get that MRI evaluating them, they're usually eccentrically located. So not central, just off to the side. And they have that perilesional edema on the MRI uh, that really helps us in terms of making that diagnosis. Yeah. And for osteoblastoma, uh, I would say the biggest thing that people will probably take away from this uh, episode is that these are very similar to osteoid osteomas in a lot of different ways, both in terms of what they look like on imaging, uh, in terms of what they look like under the microscope, and also how they present. Uh, the treatment is a little bit different um, generally as if for uh, surgical treatment of osteoblastoma, it would be resection or curatage if that choice was taken. But the main difference between osteoid osteoma and osteoblastoma is that threshold size cutoff of two centimeters. So that's, I think, the big thing to remember. And we do always like to close by letting you know it's important to note that every case is unique. And the treatment for each diagnosis is dependent on the discussion with your team of physicians. Uh, if you would like more information, feel free to check out the links on the episode description. Uh, and we'll, we look forward uh, to you guys joining us for our next episode as we discuss osteosarcoma with our guest, Dr. Chris Collier. Yes. And uh, he's at the University of Indiana. He's in Indianapolis. And we're really excited to have him on the show. Uh, and this is going to be another malignant lesion that we'll be talking about. The only one we've talked about thus far is chondrosarcoma. So this is another very common uh, primary bone tumor. So this is going to be a very good discussion, a uh, very big topic, but we'll do our best to make this a very digestible, uh, as I'm sure this one will be very popular and of interest with a lot of our listeners, because this is definitely one of the the common bone malignancies yeah we're very excited to have chris um, on the next episode thank you very much for listening to this episode of sarcoma insight if you enjoyed the show please make sure you hit subscribe uh, and follow us on instagram as well as twitter yeah. all right can't wait for the next episode sarcoma insight